Welcome to Standout. I'm your host, Cheryl Tan. On this show, we're talking about what it takes to stand out in your industry, what kind of work goes into the process, and is it worth the effort? I'm excited to introduce you to Andy Wong. He's a business owner, a podcaster, and a content creator. I love Andy's thoughtful approach to content creation. He believes this is worth the effort because content builds trust and can grow your business, but as you'll hear, it takes time. If you're in the process of creating content to build a brand, I really think you'll enjoy this honest conversation. What kind of work goes into building a personal brand? My guest today is Andy Wong, and he knows all about the work that it takes. He's a financial advisor, a Forbes top 10 personal finance podcaster, and a LinkedIn Creator Accelerator Program graduate, right? Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Cheryl. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to be on your show. We met years ago online, just through mutual friends, and I've just been watching your journey. I've followed you on LinkedIn. I listen to your podcast, and it's just been really fun to see how you've grown. And I, you know, I just wanted to have you on the show to talk with you about what that has been like. Let's start with why you decided to take your knowledge to a public space, like a podcast, like LinkedIn. It's a good question. And it's very much just, I guess for context, I'm a financial advisor for 24 years, almost 25 years. It's a family owned and operated business. So it's a company that my father started. I work with my brother. My brother and I have essentially taken over the practice. And it was years ago. I can't remember what year, but it all started with a blog. Um, My brother and I, right? You had like first generation and then father and sons, second generation trying to figure out where do we want the business to go? How can we grow? How do we use the digital world that we're use, that we're living in to our advantage? And that's where it started because historically in our business, it's all referrals, it's all relationship. And you would never get your phone ringing because somebody found your listing in the phone book. It just didn't work in our business that way. People were not looking for a financial advisor in the yellow pages. Something changed because people trust their ability to do their own research using Google. It's different. So if my dishwasher breaks and I need to replace it, I'll go to Google. If I need to buy a new TV, I go to Google. Professional services and coaching are seeing this too now, that if somebody is retiring, they'll start trying to educate themselves. How do I prepare for retirement? What do I need to do? What are the steps? They go to Google. And my brother and I found that if we write blog posts answering our clients' questions, it wasn't rocket science. And we were actually driving traffic to our website. It was kind of crazy because I was a skeptic. I did not think that people wanted to read about required minimum distributions. A financial advisor's blog is or can be very dry and very boring. 
And I, I thought that no one would want to read it, but it works. When you answer your clients' questions, they can find you online. And we're not doing paid, um, you know, we're not doing like uh, Google ads or Facebook ads. It's all organic traffic and organic search. So it's really been interesting. And out of that kind of was born that I got into podcasting. Um, for me, it was really, I, I listened to podcasts for about two years. And then while I was working on the blog, I said, well, it'd be kind of cool to have like an audio program. And I went into doing that. So I created the Inspired Money podcast. And it's not its not me answering our, my clients' questions. I should probably do that. But um, I just wanted it to be something that's fun to do. It's like part passion project, but tied to my work because it's it's money related. And it's really built upon the idea that most of us don't get enough personal finance in school. And then, and then money can be a negative subject for people. You know, too often we're told, don't talk about money at the dinner table or at Thanksgiving. It's just not the polite thing to do. So people have this negative connotation to money. So inspired money, I just get to talk to all people because we all have to deal with money. And do it in a positive light. So the idea is that if listeners or viewers get positive money stories, hearing about how to how a business person built something from scratch and then sold their company for multi-million dollars, or people who are in charity and just passionate about a cause and raising money and giving money away. So I have a lot of flexibility and I've been having fun doing that. It's apparent that you are enjoying the work that you're putting out into the world. And I also think that in your business and in, in many businesses, mine, for example, as well, it's based on relationships. And because you're having these conversations in public, whether they are on your podcast or on YouTube or even in your blog, conversations about required minimum distributions, they're still conversations. They're coming out of your voice onto the page or onto some sort of platform. It's really that way that people can say, I, I like that guy, or I think I could learn from him, or I think he can help me. And, and I think that's just such a smart way. I remember years and years and years ago, I was starting a show with one of the TV stations I was working with. And I mean, this was back before people had shows like they do now. I mean, now it's so much easier to start a YouTube show or a podcast. But I was looking for a lifestyle expert to come onto this brand new show that we were launching. And I went to Google we weren't using the yellow pages back then. It wasn't that far back. But I went to Google and we typed in the lifestyle expert that we were looking for. We had some descriptor words in Google and we went with the person who had video, who we could see before we had her come into the station to see if we could work together. And having that is is just so it's just so valuable. It is invaluable, if you will, because it creates that relationship that uh, encourages us to take that next step. So I'd love to hear the, I guess the, the, and I, I don't know if the word is iteration or the changes that you made 
and maybe the results that you were able to get. So you started the blog on your financial advisor website and maybe it wasn't automatic. Maybe it was that you had people call you from around the country, around the world. Did that happen? It happened pretty quickly. Um, That's so cool. The idea, or I guess the foundational lesson that we were taught with blogging is that you should blog two to three times. What was it? I'm, I'm, I want to say two to three times a week, but it was like the more often that you could blog, the better. <laughs> I think that we committed to like a weekly blog originally. And then we would experiment. There was one period where my brother said, I'm going to do a daily blog. And that that just seemed that ended up being too much <laughs> time wise. And then I think that readership, like people, people are being inundated, those who had actually subscribed to the blog. Um, but it happened pretty quickly because we found that the key was answering questions that our clients and our prospects ask us frequently because that's what they were typing into search engines. And that's how they would find us. So we're like a small independent financial advisory firm in New Jersey, but suddenly getting a phone call out of the blue from somebody in California saying that I read about charitable distribution, uh, like a charitable donation and for my from my IRA that I want to do by year end and I didn't know how to do it. I read your article. I have a question. And then you have those conversations. So that was really interesting. We got positive reinforcement. I think the podcast has been harder to measure because it just, I think the analytics are less transparent. Uh, you know, just to, just as an example, when I log into my, pod my podcasting host where I upload audio files, it only tells me how many downloads I have. I don't know if the person actually listened to the show. I just know that they downloaded it. Um, I kind of know where they are in the country, but it's not so easy for them to engage with me. Like there's some friction there that they would have to go look up my email or go to my, go to my website. Whereas when somebody was finding us on Google, they end up on our blog and then there can be a comment section or they're already on our website and can just hit like contact us and send an email. So I find that with the podcast, I don't hear from listeners as as often and feedback sometimes lacking. Like, I don't know, are people listening? I see download numbers, which kind of slowly grow, but I just don't hear from people as frequently as I would like. It's been almost two years, just short of two years where I reluctantly got into video <laughs> and I was perfectly happy with audio only that I didn't have to put on my jacket or a collared shirt. I could wear a t-shirt or sweatshirt, especially during the pandemic. I was down in my basement. I could be in my pajamas and just record into a microphone. As long as I knew that it sounded good, that's all I was worried about. But I was reading more and more about um, how YouTube is such a powerful search engine and that YouTube can actually help viewers find you. Whereas podcasting distribution is great. You can record a show, you can record an audio file, post that, and it just gets distributed to many different apps, many different directories. So Apple, Spotify, 
the ease of distributing your show is easy, but no platform is really advertising for you or sending you listeners. So growth happens very slowly and organically, typically, unless you're a celebrity and have a big following and people, or you have a big PR push, a good marketing um, campaign so that people know about your show. With YouTube, people can post a video and a similar audience, YouTube may make suggestions to YouTube, YouTube users. So I, I figured I should probably, I spend so much time on the podcast, I should do video and then post video to YouTube in hopes of getting a little bit of boost. What I found is that the audience tends not to overlap that much. It's a different group. Those who consume podcasts with video on YouTube, and then those who want audio only, and they're listening in their car or while they're doing their dishes. So it, it becomes like just another channel, not necessarily one that's competing with one another. So it's, I've been spending a lot of time with the trying to get my video game, <laughs> trying to get my video game improved. That's that's not easy. I think we connected right before you made that jump to video. I Correct. think that's I think that's when we just talked just to as I as I, I knew you had a, a podcast and and then you made that jump. And and you're right, it is a commitment. It's a commitment and the audiences are very different. If you think about where people are and what they're doing when they're listening or connecting with you, typically you're, you know, you're running, you're doing errands and you can put your podcast app in and just kind of move, you can have your phone in your pocket. But when you're on YouTube, um, there needs to be a little bit more of a connection. Like maybe you're putting on makeup, <laughs> maybe you're cooking, but you kind of have to have a little bit more of awareness at where that, where that, the, the devices that you're, you're watching from. Have you noticed that there has been more of a conversion with the people who watch your videos? As you were talking about, you're not really sure about that relationship from podcast listeners translating into anything more necessarily. But have you noticed that your YouTube folks are a little bit more engaged and connect with you in a different way? It still happens slower than I'd like. And I was warned that going in. Some of my friends, they said, who, some friends who are active YouTubers, they said, you have to be patient, like with anything else. You can't expect just to start publishing. It, it's a unicorn situation if suddenly you have huge viewership. So they said, don't expect that. Expect slow growth. And I said, well, I've been podcasting for three years. I'm used to just pounding my head against the pavement and things happening really slowly. Um, so I think this, I've experienced similarly on YouTube. Uh, I recently uh, I recently hit the 1,000 subscriber threshold so that you can technically monetize. Um, I think the big difference is that because YouTube has comments, I do hear from people more frequently. Um, it It goes back to that friction with the audio only on a smartphone. And, you know, it, it's an intimate medium when people have their earbuds in and your voice is in their head. And they there's a connection there that listeners who listen to audio only, it's, it's quite common that after listening regularly to your podcast, they consider you to be a friend 
Like they feel like they get to know you. There's a trust established there, but it's difficult for them to send you an email or send you a note. You know, if they're driving, then they have to wait until they're in front of their computer. They have to go find your email. It's a lot of steps. So with YouTube, I don't get a ton of comments, but I definitely get comments and that's reassuring, right? I, I was always worried that I would get a lot of negative comments. Fortunately, that has not happened yet. I, I hear about that though. They're like, YouTube commenters are brutal. Um, but I'm happy just to hear from people. And so, yes, I would say that in three years of publishing the audio only podcast, I got less engagement or hearing from listeners directly than I have publishing to YouTube in the last two years, because it's easy for somebody who's watching a video just to leave a comment and they say, oh, this was a really helpful interview. I really like this guest. And um, then I can comment back. So it's nice having that ability to have a back and forth with with people who are out in the ether. <laughs> like, I don't see them, so I don't know what they look like. <laughs> it's all about connection, which I think is so fun to create with people who, if you had not posted anything, would not have heard of you at all, which I think is one of the coolest things about being a content creator, which I think you are now, which is what I want to talk about next is the LinkedIn Creator Accelerator Program. So you're a blogger, you are a podcaster, now you're a YouTuber, and clearly you're you're just watching from the sidelines, you're trying to make a name for yourself, a personal brand, if you will. Where did this program come in? And you applied for this, right? So tell us more about the program itself, if you would. Okay. This is all recent. So I'm happy <laughs> to talk about it and I can share what my experience has been. It started earlier this year that I made a commitment to posting to LinkedIn more regularly. So it's not that I've been posting to LinkedIn for many, many years. This started in March of this year that I... This precedes the official creator accelerator program. But in the past, like when I started with the blog, I would post like you share your blog posts on Facebook, you share your blog posts on LinkedIn and with hopes of driving traffic, they call it deplatforming. You're you're trying to get people to leave Facebook and go to your website and read your article and find you. And hopefully they subscribe to your blog. Facebook is just getting tougher. Facebook and Instagram more and more for content creators, it's pay to play. They want you to advertise. Otherwise, the algorithm isn't really showing your content to too many people. And some friends of mine who are very active on LinkedIn, they were telling me their feedback was that LinkedIn is not like that right now. They said the ability to share your knowledge, to post just a short form text post and potentially have it go viral and seen by a lot of people is much better than on other platforms. And for years, I had told myself as a financial advisor, LinkedIn being a professional and business platform makes a lot more sense for me to spend time there. And I, I noticed on Facebook, if I post anything work-related, it got like zero engagement. 
So clearly my friends and family didn't want to hear it. And then link, uh, then Facebook wasn't showing it to anybody else either. So I felt like, I'm like, why am I taking the time to even post anything on Facebook? Uh, so I, I took a much more extreme position than I probably should. I have not been posting on Facebook at all, like very little. I should, I should still share some information there. It doesn't need to be all or nothing, but come March, uh, I actually heard from, there was a LinkedIn employee who reached out to me too. So it was a combination of things. I had been thinking about LinkedIn for a long time and about a year ago, so sometime in 2021, LinkedIn actually created, they started hiring people with the title of creator manager hmm. because they want to uh, develop and encourage more creators to be create be creating content regularly on LinkedIn because they know that the key to growing LinkedIn is to have more conversations and more engagement. So one of these creator managers reached out to me. I don't know why, must have found my podcast or they found something and she just sent she sent me an email saying that if you're interested in joining the creator program, you would I would be your contact as a uh, creator manager. So I can help answer questions. I can tell you about the best practices for posting on LinkedIn. Um, I can give you tips. So I started doing that in March. Um, I was getting one-on-one -on -one guidance, which was a big help. And it's all new, right? Because the whole creative manager team, those who were originally on, have only fairly recently been celebrating their like first anniversary <laughs> working at the company or in this role. So March through what, maybe a month and a half ago, I was just doing this, not, not for money, but I was just re I was redirecting my my attention from Facebook to LinkedIn. And when I had questions, I could I could ask my creator manager, um, am I doing things right? Can I have some tips? Uh, you know, she would tell me things like, don't post so frequently. This is not Twitter. Um, you know, posting once a day or twice a day is recommended because it gives your it gives your content time to um, you know, to be to get noticed. You know, it's not like Twitter where it's just so fast paced, like people can post, people can tweet 20 times a day. That's not happening on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, what I like is that, or what I found pretty quickly, it's this network of really, really interesting and smart, experienced people, professionals from every industry, you know, from from finance to manufacturing to small business owners to coaches it's everybody and from diverse backgrounds from diverse industries and there's a positivity there too because where twitter tends to have sometimes some snarkiness linkedin tends to be much more focused on personal development and improvement and how can you do better in your career so i found it to be this um oddly, this more positive place 
where people are trying to help each other. And somebody told me that LinkedIn is a social media platform, but somebody told me, they said, don't think of LinkedIn as a social media platform. It's really a knowledge base of professionals where they can share their experiences. Mm. Um, so it, 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 it's, it's a little bit different than what many of us thought of LinkedIn previously, because we feel like, oh, it's just a place to, you know, put my resume and I'm a small business owner. I'm not looking for a job right now. So why would I be on there? Uh, I've found that it's so much more than that. If you want to build authority, thought leadership, if you have a target audience, if you have like a niche that you're trying to trying to um, work with, it makes a lot of sense to be on LinkedIn because you can create content, you can start conversations with people. And that's what's been fun. Like since March, posting different topics. And for me, I'm just experimenting. So, and it doesn't have to all be professional or buttoned up. I mean, I've created videos where I'm wearing my t-shirt and a baseball hat. <laughs> um, you know, even a short video on my phone when I was camping with my daughter or my son. So you can show different sides of yourself, but then I'm also talking about people's 401k or investing. Um, for those who are interested in creating on LinkedIn, you know, you post and then sometimes you feel like you get no engagement. So one tip or hack or recommendation that people can do, and this has worked really well for me, when you go to your LinkedIn like newsfeed, on the right-hand side, there are curated news stories because there are news editors at LinkedIn who most of them, I think, work in the New York office, which is in the Empire State Building. If you find articles that are related to your field or what you do, your area of expertise, you can share those articles. And I recommend writing a little blurb. You know, you can weigh in with your opinion, with your experience. And storytelling works really well. It's like... Um, I can share if if I'm if there's an article about tech layoffs, which there have been a lot recently. Yeah. I can share that, oh, two of my friends worked at Twitter. Both of them were laid off. And here are some tips for if you're laid off, like you know, three things that you should do uh right away. And you post that. The news editors use the hashtag LI trending topics because LI trending topics is monitored by these news editors at LinkedIn. And what they will do is sometimes they will take your post and they'll attach it to the bottom of the article that they have featured in that news, uh, that news sort of um, news feed. When that happens, your followers are notified that you've been featured on this LinkedIn story. And also, whenever people look at that upper right-hand corner newsfeed, if they click on those headlines, if they scroll down, they'll see your post underneath. So you get exposure to people who are not following you. Mm. And through that, through, through doing that um, fairly regularly, I've been featured. Uh, and I think that that's increased my number of followers. Um, and part of the whole, like, 
conversation engagement because um, that process, like I credit LinkedIn for helping me when I'm featured that new eyes are getting on my post. And then in the comments, there are all kinds of conversations happening. So I'm sure I, I'm very um, deliberate about replying to people's comments. And I think that helps the algorithm. It just sees like, oh, there's more activity here. And that then it's it exposes you to more people. Um, but that's fun. Andy, that's a great tip that I'm going to listen to that again. And <laughs> yeah, hashtag LI, trending, LI topics. trending topics. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great tip. And it's really, it's it's something that they want you to do, right? They're curating these stories and they're saying, hey, hey this is what we think is hot today. And you as an expert can weigh in on whatever topic makes sense for your correct. industry, your niche. That's correct. So now that you've been on LinkedIn for the better part of a year, what is your opinion? Are you staying on it? Are you going to be as active? Is th is this kind of the one that you'll spend more time on? Or how does it work with your whole brand building exercise? Great question. Before I answer that, I didn't even get into the LinkedIn Creator Accelerator program. Oh, because yeah, you're I right. Had been, <laughs> I had been posting almost daily, like, you know, three to five times a week not getting paid, but just oh, wait, doing so it. You had done this before the program. You were doing I it all... started before the program. Oh, okay. All right. The creator manager reached out to me, but there's no pay involved. You know, you're just doing it for exposure. And I felt like I was getting things out of it. It was keeping me um, up to date on topical news, which helps me as a financial advisor. I was having this kind of small daily writing practice, which I hadn't been doing previously because that's a whole thing too, like trying to figure out how do you write short form copy and do it well. Yeah. Um, I'm working on it. I feel like there's so much more that I can improve, but that's like a very specific skill that can be developed that can help you to get more engagement, get more followers. Um, but I guess it was about four or five months in and I caught word that the LinkedIn Creator Accelerator program was opening up another cohort. They did one last year. And most of those were very big content creators. They had big audiences already, either through YouTube or podcast or TikTok. Um, but that, that was like the first round. The second round, which just completed, it just ended yesterday. It was a six-week program, uh, 120 creators. And you had to apply. I don't know how often they open applications, but everybody should keep an eye out because it's a six-week program. The commitment is if you're accepted, you have to post three times a week. You can pitch a specific project. And through the six weeks, you get trainings from the creator team. They had a couple of mentors. So... Uh, Colin and Samir, I don't know if you know their YouTube channel, they were mentors for our cohort, which was thematic. Um, it was a U.S. creator program, but with the theme of technology and innovation. Oh, and wow. this is the big thing. Not only are you getting training and support and then networking with 120 creators, there is a grant of up to $12,000 for the six weeks. Oh, wow. <laughs> so as long as you're meeting the requirement to post the 
three days a week and you're working on your there were some like bonuses, but yeah, up to $12,000 grant, which is really nice. So yeah. LinkedIn is making like, if you add up, if you do the quick math, that's about one and a half million dollars that LinkedIn invested mm-hmm. into creators and encouraging creators on their platform. That's so cool. Well, clearly people should apply. Like <laughs> I'll be looking out for that. Definitely. You should look out for that. But having the opportunity to be around people who are from different walks of life, different industries, but all with an interest of growing some sort of presence on LinkedIn. That's that's got to be so cool. So, so really, cool. really cool. And I, I uh, kudos to LinkedIn, not only for having the program, yeah. but for having diversity. I mean, yeah, if you look at the faces, you can see male female, you see African-American, you see Asian, you see Caucasian, you see, you know, Latinx. It really was a melting pot. And then when you meet people either virtually, or I got to meet some of the people uh, in New York city in person, uh, my fellow creators, everybody came from different industries. So there were like fashion and beauty content creators. There were media creators uh, there were, you know, I'm financial services. And then, then there were people that I think it was really cool, as you said, people from different backgrounds, different walks of life, different areas of expertise, but sharing a common interest in how do I share my knowledge, thought leadership, um, develop, how do we engage in more conversations on the platform and how do we use the platform? And over the six weeks, there was an article in shoot, I can't remember the name of the publication. I think it was a Vox article that the title was something about uh, the million dollar LinkedIn creator, that there are influencers on LinkedIn who are like solopreneurs and they're selling courses. They're monetizing in all different ways. Mm-hmm. They're getting brand partnerships. They're getting speaking engagements yeah. and you know, light lights, like the light bulb went off. And I said, wait a minute, <laughs> I, I can monetize if I grow big enough a following. I mean, my following is still very small, but I could kind of envision down the road. Is there potential if I keep posting consistently? Like, what are the possibilities? And I think the fellow creators in the accelerator program shared that, um, and we actually we had a we had a, a LinkedIn audio event, which is like Clubhouse, where ten of us were talking about one the article, our experience in the accelerator program, and then how does one monetize? How do you become an influencer on LinkedIn and monetize? And I smile because the idea of LinkedIn and influencer makes me laugh a little bit because <laughs> I have a fifteen year old daughter, and I told her. I'm, I decided to spend less time on Facebook. And she's like, that's great because we think Facebook's for old people. And I said, <laughs> I'm redirecting my attention to LinkedIn. And she's like, that's worse. <laughs> so the oh, idea our teenage that, kids are so great, aren't they? <laughs> exactly. Well, she's being, at least she speaks her mind. I love um, it. But the idea that one can become an influencer and there are million dollar influencers on LinkedIn, I don't know what the possibilities are. Um, but I'd like to find out. 
I would say the possibilities are truly endless, absolutely endless. And I, I just, I love watching what you're doing. And I just wanted to shine a light on that because there is no question that someone can see your something that you've put out there. Maybe they then go to your YouTube page and see one of your podcast episodes uh, that you have there. They'll go to your podcast and they just need to see a little bit of that to then say, well, I would love for him to come and teach a workshop on money or whatever, whatever it is right. that they're looking for. I mean, that has happened to me where people just, I don't even know where they find me to be honest, but they find and they, and then they do more digging and they, they find the YouTube videos and they're like, oh, okay, she's all right. And then let's, let's have a conversation because it always ends with a conversation and then let's bring her in. And that's clearly going to happen with you if it, ha if it hasn't already. And I think the idea of what, what did you say? It was a million dollar LinkedIn influencer. Yeah, Is million that dollar LinkedIn influencer. Yes, that's a, that's very exciting because I think different from the influencers that kind of get a bad rap in the media, it's more of being a, a trusted resource. Yes. That, that's, I think what it is. It's a trusted resource who happens to have a bigger audience than maybe some other people do. And I think that LinkedIn is a really good fit for your listenership and your viewership. Mm, for sure. Um, you know, sure. coaches, solopreneurs, business people who want speaking engagements or more media. Uh, it makes a lot of sense because there are stories. Uh, I'll just share one. Um, this is this is a creator who is a millennial. She was not in the Creator Accelerator program, but she's a LinkedIn creator. Okay. She writes about um, kind of having like an illness and working, right? Because oh, she wow. has some kind of, she has some sort of illness, but she she's working and, and she does like some modeling and she does like, uh, you know, brand deals with companies. But in her experience, she wanted to apply to the Sports Illustrated like swim contest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is for like, they'll take applications from everyday people who can be featured in the magazine as swimsuit models. Oh, that's cool. And she did that. She made her like, uh, she made her little video to submit but she tagged one of the editors, one of the Sports Illustrated editors on LinkedIn. And she, was, she wasn't the finalist, but she was among the finalists and cool. credits LinkedIn to helping her get in front of the right people. And she could do it in a way that was not like, here I'm, Right. <laughs> it wasn't like a forceful way. It was just like, she could, she was sharing, oh, I, I'm submitting my Sports Illustrated application and I'm really excited. This is how I I went down to Miami and did a little photo shoot and made this video. And this is what I'm submitting and tagged the editor. So yeah. you can you can meet the right people. And it's really interesting, right? Because what you said, it ultimately it does come down to the human to human relationship. Yeah. But with these platforms, it really changes the reach or the potential to get in front of people that you wouldn't have otherwise. Because in the past you had like geographic um, constraints. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Constraints. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if somebody in California wouldn't find out about you on the East coast, unless you flew out there. And now it's like those boundaries have, those walls have come down and 
someone in Asia might find you, like someone in Europe might find you. So who knows? It's it happens. I it happens a lot actually. You mentioned in the beginning when we were talking about back in the day and the yellow pages, and that's how we would find people we would do stories on is through the yellow pages. We'd find whatever kind of business, if we were looking for that kind of business for the story that we were shooting for that day. And that's not necessary anymore. Now you look to your social media feeds and journalists love Twitter. So they are on Twitter looking for story ideas and trying to find experts and and all of those things. And LinkedIn is certainly a place that they're looking at now. But what I wanted to ask you, and and we're wrapping up, and I appreciate your time and your thoughtfulness, and I, we love I love your answers and the things that you've done. Is you know sometimes it can be frustrating, and I know for anyone who's trying to build a brand, and we're all doing it, we're all building a brand, whether we know it or not, and whether we're intentional about it or not, we're building some sort of brand. But as as, as you've been doing so. Uh, trying to find an audience, trying to find the right platform. And as you've been going to different places to find that audience and build it and cultivate it and grow those relationships, how have you, how have you approached experimentation, right? Because, and we talked about this a little bit before the show started, is if you are entrepreneurially minded Squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. Like there's so many great things. There's a new platform. We should do this and we should do that. How do you stay focused and focus on experimentation that makes sense, that is thoughtful, and that that essentially gets you to the goal that you're trying to reach? Yeah, that's where the imposter syndrome comes in. I feel like I'm not qualified to answer this question, but not true. Not I true. I have at an all. answer for you. So that must <laughs> not be true. That must be in my mind. It's a great question. And I think that experimentation is required. Like you have to be experimenting. Uh, but the key is that you're walking this very I don't know. Like you're 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 walking this like crazy tightrope of I need to set my goals and what it is that I want to accomplish. And that's important. So I think that that is essential. You have to, and that can change, of course, but you you need to have your like guiding principles trying to figure out where it is that you're going. You have to have a plan in place and you can course correct at any time and change that plan or change direction. But I think at all times, you you have to have that like written down and stare at it every day because you need to know <clears throat> where the destination is and where you, where you want to end up. Mm-hmm. As long as you have that sort of foresight and goal in mind, then you can experiment all you want. It's like you just know that you're doing everything to try to get from point A to point B. And the experimentation part was that was included and encouraged uh, in this LinkedIn Creator Accelerator program. They wanted us to test different formats. They wanted us to do short form posts, write a longer form article, use the carousel feature, which is relatively new. You can use images or video and have a carousel where people can scroll through. You can do video. You can do an audio 
event. You could do a LinkedIn Live. So I think the experimentation is really important because you don't really know what's going to land as far as one content, but then also the method of delivery. You're not sure which one's going to take off or which one gets more engagement. Um, you know, some of that is going to be up to an algorithm that yeah. we don't really have defined. We don't really know. Um, but I was listening to something last night before I went to bed and uh, the speakers, the subject was about short form writing on the internet. But the comment that they had was that you can't really be writing for the algorithm. You're really just trying to create great content. And at some point, the algorithm helps you. Mm. So they're their takeaway was that when you see a creator who has a lot of followers and a lot of engagement, they're like, it's not that they figured out a hack how to game the system. It's that that creator is creating great content and then the algorithm eventually rewards you. So, you know, you just have to keep at it and experiment. But yeah, my comment is that you need to, or my advice is that you need to have your, you know, guiding principles it's like your core values, your guiding principles, what what your goals are, what are you trying to accomplish? You need to have that. You need to have those guardrails in place. Otherwise, there is a risk of just experimenting too much with no goal in mind, and then it doesn't make sense. Mm, good stuff. Good stuff, Andy. What's ahead for you? What's what's next for you? And it includes LinkedIn, maybe. Yes. <laughs> It definitely still includes LinkedIn. Um, What I want to do now that the six-week accelerator program is completed, uh, there are things that I want to do with the podcast. Um, I want to experiment with some mixing in some live streams with the podcast because I think that they're similar, but they're different. And the negative that I mentioned previously where the podcast, you record it and you publish it and it's hard to get engagement. Live streaming is different because the audience can actually be part of the show. As a live stream, they're listening at the time that it's being recorded and can actually inform what questions I would be asking the guests. I just have to be juggling a lot of balls that I'm interviewing somebody while monitoring the chat. But I think that that level of engagement is something that I want to experiment with. Uh, LinkedIn, definitely, I want to um, I want to niche down and really figure out for my content, like who is my ideal, like who is the audience that I'm trying to reach? And I think that there's a tendency, and I think I've been doing it even since March, that the focus is too broad. I think that really you need to narrow the focus because then you get more mileage. You you get more impact with your post if you're reaching the right audience. And um, so I want to experiment with that and see what I, happens. I can't wait to watch what happens. I think that's so exciting. That's really, really good stuff. You need to be specific. How can people reach you? Uh, how, can, how can they get in touch with you, listen to your show? Where do they find you? Yeah, easy. Uh, thank you for that. The easiest place to go is inspiredmoney.fm. That will take you to my uh, company website and you can check out the podcast. You can check out the YouTube videos. 
And um, yeah, I need to blog more, but <laughs> time is, uh, you know, finite. So isn't it though? Yeah. You've got a business to run, a family to raise. It's all, all of the things, but, but I appreciate your time. I appreciate your time and your, your wisdom and yes, listen to Andy's podcast. It's really great, really. And I think money is one of those topics that you can't escape. Uh, we don't live on an island. <laughs> we live in a place where money is necessary. And I think your take on it is is so fresh and positive. So, And you can find it at all the places you listen to podcasts. So I really appreciate your time and the energy that you're sharing with us today. Thank you, Cheryl. If this episode has inspired you to take action, here are three things you can do right now. Before you hit publish on anything, take some time to figure out what you want to accomplish with the content you create. What does success look like? Establish that first, or you'll start to feel like you're posting with no point. Build a daily writing habit and work on creating content that connects with your ideal audience. Finally, check out the hashtag LI trending topics on LinkedIn and see how you can join relevant conversations. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Thank you in advance. Until next time, I'm Cheryl Tan.